Hey family, I'm Ashley. And I'm Dion. And we are the Woman, Woman Defined, Defined Podcast, Podcast Season 2. Our goal is to encourage women to live authentically, on purpose, and in their God-given identities. So welcome to the Woman Defined Podcast. John 1.1 reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no way to know God without knowing his word. The Bible is literally God in written form. Every book, every chapter, every verse is wrapped in God. Even Leviticus and Numbers, which if you know, you know, okay? So follow along with us in your word as we dive deeper into God's word for revelation of who he is, who we are in him, what the life of a follower entails, and more. Welcome to the study sesh with the woman defined. Family, family, welcome back to another episode of the Woman Defined Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dion, and we are missing the fantastic Ashley today. I don't know about y'all, but I'm going to need Sister Girl to come on back. You know what? I'm going to speak to right where she is. Ashley, we love you. We miss you. And yeah, it's time to come on back. But in the meantime, we're here today, y'all, and we have a great study session lined up. So let's go ahead and get into it. I want to come out the gate letting y'all know that this episode was all based on something that I said in the last study sesh episode. You know, if you recall, if you aren't all caught up on the study sesh, go back through the previous episodes. There is a five-part series on Abram and Sarai, aka Abraham and Sarah. And in part five, I talked about being real about what it takes to commit to Christ, being real about the the enticement of sin and how Sin can be fun and sin can seem like the easier option. And when I tell y'all, I've been convicted about that episode ever since. I I haven't been convicted in the fact that I said something wrong because I agree that sin can be enticing. Sin can be fun. It can be the easier option. But I've been convicted in the sense that I haven't given y'all the full picture. So that birthed this whole episode that we're about to go into today. Because although sin can be fun, sin can be enticing, sin gonna come with some stuff. Sin is not a free pass. It's gonna cost you something. It's expensive. Sin will eat you alive. And I don't feel comfortable just skipping past the fact that I said, you know, sin can be fun. Sin can be, yes, it can, but but what is it gonna cost you? And I also wanted to start out by saying that the closer you get to God, the closer you pursue Christ, the more you develop that relationship, the more you feed your soul the word and being in his presence, the more uncomfortable sin becomes, the more hard sin becomes. So while it is easy at some point, the closer I've been getting to Christ, let me speak personally, the more I'm like, ah, I can't do that. Ah, I don't want to do that. It's like this internal struggle. And some things is like, I ain't doing that. There's no struggle at all. The other things I'm like, "Mm, well, you know, I miss the days when that could be that, you know, like I miss the days when it was easy for me to do that or feel like that or think that. But now I ain't even going to try. I ain't even going to trip on it. You know, so I feel like 
the more you know who God is and the more you want him to live in you, the more sin just don't sit right on you no more. And that's just been my experience. So I couldn't move forward without saying that, without starting there, without giving the foundational piece to this episode. Now, with that foundational piece of the episode, we're going to get into the foundation of sin. But let's talk about what sin actually is. I have sin defined as the act of doing the opposite of what God wants. It is living contrary to his commands that were originally given in the Old Testament as the Ten Commandments beginning in Exodus chapter 20. Um, and those commandments, y'all should know them. Y'all didn't heard them. Even if you aren't raised in church, even if you aren't fully enmeshed in Christ just yet, you done heard the Ten Commandments. So I'm just going to go through them real quick. In Exodus 20, I'm in the NIV version, and it reads, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them for worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents and the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter. Neither your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land and the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So those are the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, which was God's law, his commands for the people to live by. But in the New Testament, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, God kind of converted all 10 of these down to two commands. Let's head on over to Matthew 22. I hope y'all got y'all Bibles ready for this study session because we going into it, baby. We getting into it. But let's head on over to that verse and see what they talk about. In the latter part of Matthew 22, the Pharisees and the Sadducees gathered and one of them asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? A.K.A. which is the most important of the Ten Commandments? In 37 starts off by saying, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus tells us right there that those are the two most important commandments. So that's why I say the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament were converted into the two commandments in the New Testament. Those are the marks that we push towards living as believers and followers of Christ. Now, I want to say here, sin is not just murder. It's not just lust, robbery. Sin is also lying. Sin is also harboring unforgiveness. It's also being involved in petty gossip and drama. And God sees them all on the same level. So real quick, before we try and exclude ourselves from this episode, before we try and exclude ourselves from 
the conviction of sin because we think, oh, we don't sin like that. Or we don't do the big sin, quote unquote. Let's just have a seat. Let's ask God to purify our hearts together out of that foolishness and away from that way of thinking. I also want to mention that there are other commandments throughout the Old Testament, like Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and different sects of Christianity and religion in general. They choose to follow certain ones under their certain belief systems, even to this day, like not cutting sideburns, like I say in Leviticus 19. However, I'm a believer in the new covenant through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, where, like I said, Jesus emphasizes the two commandments as the greatest and the rest hang on those two themselves. So throughout the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, and other disciples, they continue to teach in depth on godly living, all of it aligning with these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The most important thing is to be led of the Holy Spirit, not by your own internal morality clause or ideas of justice. So moving forward, I want to look at sin through the lens of the Bible. Let's look at how the Bible talks about sin, what the word says about sin, what God says about sin. We're going to start out by going over to Romans 6.23. And it reads, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That scripture in itself says a mouthful. It tells me that sin has wages, first and foremost. Google, like a lot of us, define wages as a regular payment. So in terms of a job, you give up your time, you give up your knowledge, your expertise, your creativity, you give of yourself to go into work. And in return for the sacrifice, you receive money. And for some of us, benefits from the job, like insurance, um, PTO, blah, blah, blah. There is an exchange happening for wages. So for framing it in terms of sin, when we choose to live contrary to how God instructs us to, is going to cost us something. And what is that something? Once again, Romans 6, it lays it out plainly, death. Now, in the Old Testament, it was literal death. <laughs> That's why sacrifices were offered when someone sinned, whether it be people sacrificing animals or other sacrifices of grain, oils, or wine, a price had to be paid for sin. Now, in today's time, that's not pretend. It can still be literal death, but it can also be a metaphorical death. Either way, sin leads to death in some way, shape, or form. It is prioritizing sin at the expense of life. On the other hand, though, this same scripture tells us that through Jesus Christ, we are gifted with life. So as I'm recording this episode, it's a week before Thanksgiving, a.k.a. Christmas is almost here, and it's almost gift season. I just want to tell my family, I love y'all. Y'all's gift is going to be a card and a good phone call. But let's think about the term gift. It's important for me to emphasize the term gift as it relates to receiving life through Christ, because think about how we understand a gift. Google defines it as something that someone gives willingly to someone else without payment, aka there's no cost. It's free. And for somebody out there whose life motto is, if it's free, it's for me, like mine used to be, you ought to give them a shout of praise right there. There is no exchange necessary for life in Christ because Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus did make the payment. It was free for us, but it wasn't free for Jesus because Jesus was the payment. Jesus was a sacrifice himself when he died for our sins. He is the lamb that was slain, the lamb of God. He paid it all for us. And 
I'm going to need the student loan system to come subject to the word of God. Jesus has paid it all. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> all right, let's move forward. I'm out here clowning with the word of God. Let's look at Numbers 32 and 23 to see what it says about sin real quick. In this chapter, it basically tells us that sin is going to catch up to us some way, somehow. It says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. So that real quick snippet of the scripture tells me that there's no outrunning the cost of sin. It's going to catch up. It's just a matter of how. All right. Isaiah 59 and 2 tells us that sin separates us from God. And as God is light and life, separation from God is death. Now, my study Bible paints a picture that every time we sin by either doing wrong or not doing right, we put up another brick on a wall between us and God that Jesus came to knock down so we can live close to God now and forever rather than being apart from him in sin. Again, it may not be literal death, but in Adam's story, when he chose to eat the fruit, my study Bible says immediately he died spiritually as his soul was separated from God and he began to slowly die physically. So according to Genesis 5, Adam lived to be 930 years old. My study Bible notes say that God initially created humans to live for eternity and that if he and Eve had not disobeyed God, they would have lived forever. When God shared his commandment about honoring your mother and father, he stated that obedience to it would grant them a longer life. So sin can mean literal death, again, and obedience can mean literal life. Not just eternally in heaven with Jesus after death, but also longer life while we're alive here on earth. Next, we're going to look into where sin came from, how it even began, what had happened. So we're going to go to the story, the infamous story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. In this story, sin and in turn death entered the world through Adam choosing to defy God and eat the fruit of the tree of life to enlighten himself and quote unquote, be like God. In the time between Adam committing the first sin against God in Genesis 3, and then later Moses giving the Ten Commandments to the people in Exodus 20, the Bible says God did not keep an account of these sins because the law had not been given yet. So we have Genesis 3, sin was introduced to the world. So fast forward, I'm sure what is years later, I don't know, I'm not the theologian, Bible scholar, we all learning together. Amen. Hallelujah. But I'm sure it was years later because it was a whole book of the Bible later. And sometimes uh, chapters within the same book of the Bible are hundreds of years later. So I don't know this time frame, but Genesis 3, Exodus 20. In between that time, people were sinning. Okay. So people go on people. So naturally people were still sinning during this whole time, but it was just differently than Adam had sinned. And because of God's holiness, the sin couldn't be ignored. So as it says in Romans 5, 14, death reigned, a.k.a. nobody who was sinning during this time made it out alive. Even though the law hadn't been given yet because of who God is and how holy God is, he couldn't just let it slide. So all of this to say, sin is expensive, y'all. That's really what I want us to take with. Like as much as it seems easy, as much as it can be fun, it's going to cost you. It's going to come with something. Uh, you know, getting drunk, it's going to come with a hangover, okay? Um, out here wilding and having sex, it could come with STDs, it could come with pregnancy, that could come with a lie, that could come with soul tie, you just don't know who you binding yourself to, oh God, 
Um, unforgiveness will eat you up alive. You as soon as you get in a person presence, you can't even look their way. You can't you can't even be around without being uncomfortable. So your sin gonna come with something. You just have to decide: Are you willing to pay that price? Now that we have a foundational understanding of what sin is and how it began, where it came from, I want to take a look at the reality of things. Let's be real. The reality is while we can try not to actively sin, no matter what, we're sinners. We're born sinners. We'll die sinners. This is written in the Bible in multiple places. Psalms 51 and 5 uh, in this scripture, David cries out to God about being born into sin and shaped into iniquity or immorality. Paul talks about it in depth in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then uh, 1 John 1 and 8 bluntly kind of tells us, hey, uh, if you're going to claim to be without sin, you're lying to yourself. The truth is not in you. Verse 10 says that by claiming that we are without sin, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not within us. And one, I know God ain't no liar. Two, I know his word is within me and his truth is also within me. So Let's just start there. We can try our best, but we are sinners, okay? Either way, it is in our nature to sin. We are inclined to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature, to follow desires, thoughts, contradicting God's commands. So, of course, you want to be spiritually mature. Of course, you want to push toward the mark. But there's no amount of maturity or effort that you put in that will completely eliminate sin or its role in our lives. That I know of. Again, not the theologian, not the Bible scholar yet. <laughs> okay? But based on the word of God, okay, we are sinners. So I'm taking the time to share this seemingly hard truth because we have to face that fact to truly walk in the freedom of the Lord. I'm sharing it to encourage us in Christ and to free us from the pressure of the righteousness that we're called to that cannot come of ourselves. It has to come from the Holy Spirit and to free us from the mindset of perfectionism and the bondage that is in that. That yes, we will fall short, but this is where it's important to know that Jesus died for our sin to be reminded that he made the sacrifice because God had an understanding that we would never be able to get it right on our own. Oh my gosh, time and time again in the Old Testament, it's just like God is trying and we are failing. So it is the power of the Holy Spirit <laughs> that must do a work within us to transform us and push us towards his righteousness, push us towards his holiness. And his grace is there. His grace is there to fill in the gaps where we just can't make it. This is also family, come on, hallelujah, where the good news come in. That good news is it's not all on us. And I don't know about y'all, but I love when you know, in a work situation, for example, things start popping off, but I'm like, you know what? This is above my pay grade. Um, th this is not on me to resolve. Amen. Anybody? Just me. All right. We're going to move on forward in the glory of God. But long story short, Jesus became flesh and lived the perfect life. So we don't have to, we can't do it anyway, but we don't have to. He died for our sins. So we don't have to. Now, I'm not saying that to excuse us and say, you can do whatever you want to do. Absolutely not. There's a scripture in the Bible. I'm going to put it in Dion's version. I know there's King James, New Living, New International. I'm going to put this in Dion's version because I'm not sure exactly where it is right now. But it basically says, yes, there's grace available, but don't take advantage of God's grace and be out here wilding. And it's like, surely not. Surely not. Should I continue in sin? Oh, there it is. Come on, Holy Spirit, bring that thing on in. Should I continue in sin knowing that there's grace available? Surely not. So you are accountable for your actions. 
But I don't want you to think that you have to be perfect to serve the Lord. I don't want you to think that you have to be perfect to do right by other people, to love other people as God commands us to. I don't want you to think that your lack of perfection means that you can't do good work in the kingdom. I don't want you to think that your lack of perfection means that God don't love you and God can't use you and that you can't be impactful to the world around you. That's what I want to free us from. Perfection that is going to immobilize us out of our destiny, that is going to immobilize us out of the gifts that God has strategically put in us when he brought us about for this specific time to use those gifts with the specific people. We cannot let perfectionism dictate our destiny. God has already created all of that. Uh, The Bible says that God created us long ago to do the good works that he planned for us. So he already has good works assigned to us. And our lack of perfection is not going to count us out for that. We have to continue pursuing him in our imperfection. I have a tattoo on my arm and it says perfectly imperfect. That means I'm not perfect, but I'm exactly how God made me to be and exactly who God is developing me into. I'm not going to let my imperfections disqualify me from being used by the Lord and going after the life that he has created me to live. And you shouldn't either. Amen. Amen. And in my mind, the very birth of Jesus itself was the breaking point for cycles or patterns. It was a breaking point for being handcuffed to or being held captive by sin and death, because let's not get it twisted. Sin is slavery presented in a costume of freedom. That came to me so clearly, y'all. And I said, oh, my God, whenever I read that part, I got to say it again. So I'm going to say it again. Sin is slavery presented in a costume of freedom. Let's look at Romans 7, 14 through 23. So if you hadn't noticed, Romans is starting to become one of my favorite books of the Bible. <laughs> but in this in the scripture, Paul describes an internal struggle that he's dealing with. He doesn't understand what's happening because he wants to do good, but he can't. The evil that he don't want to do, he keeps on doing and he hates that he does it. But the sin within him is driving him against his will. Paul says whenever he wants to do good, evil is present. When he finds joy in God's law, another law is fighting against it within him, imprisoning him to the sin at work within him. All right, so let's go forward over to Romans 8 and 5, where it says, when you sin, you live according to the flesh. Your mind is set on what the flesh desires. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh cannot and will not submit to God. Okay, so not only are you not in control of your body, Being governed by the flesh means you have no control of your mind either. And baby, if that ain't slavery, if that ain't bondage, if that ain't manipulation, I don't know what is. And I don't want no parts. Let's take a look on over to Romans 8, verse 3 through 4. I told y'all, you better have your Bibles ready because we in the text today. We in the scripture. We studying today. Welcome to the study sesh. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... In Romans 8, 3 and 4, it says that God sent Jesus in the likeness of flesh, that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement may be fulfilled in us who live by the Spirit. Romans 3 and 22 tells us that we receive righteousness through faith by believing in Christ Jesus, that even when we sin and fall short, we are justified freely by his grace because Christ redeemed us. Verse 27 says, there is to be no boasting, not on the law. Because the law don't give you a relationship with Christ, not on ourselves, not on our friends, nobody, because we are justified by faith in Christ. Okay, so Romans 8 and 3, Romans 3.22, Romans 3.27. I just gave y'all a lot of goodness 
But let's break down what justified or redeemed by faith means. And to do that, we're going to pop over to Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. And it reads, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so because we also glory in our sufferings, but we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. Amen. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God. At just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. To recap that powerful scripture, to be justified or redeemed means to be made right with God. As we were born into life with a sinful nature that would keep us divided from God, he took the initiative to make our relationship right by sending Jesus to fulfill the righteous requirement that was demanded on our behalf. Because of that, where we previously had no right of entry, by having faith in Christ Jesus, we're now granted access into his grace. Come on, access granted. I received that over my life. I don't know about none of y'all, but I received access granted over my life. This has become one of my favorite scriptures because, again, it reminds me that being made right with God is not on me. It's not on my shoulders. I can't earn his grace by being, quote unquote, the best Christian. Um, I can't earn his grace by never sinning. I can't earn his grace by going to church every Sunday, reading my Bible every day, memorizing scripture um, and being able to recall it at the drop of a dime. <laughs> I can't earn his grace by giving to the homeless or donating to charity. None of that. Don't get it twisted. Those are all great things I encourage y'all to do, but they do not get you into heaven and they do not get you earn you God's grace. Going back to the gift definition, God's grace is a gift that he gives willingly and freely. It's personally available and readily available to us just by believing in him. That's all we got to do. God did all the other work. God did his part. Our part is just to believe in him, have faith in him, and that gives us that access to grace. All we have to do is receive it, believe it, obey it. My study Bible notes say that we fully rest in being justified by faith when we stop trying to justify ourselves and depend completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And man, when I tell y'all, I feel snatched up in my spirit every time I read it because, you know, your girl done tried to justify myself. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But, you know, we have to fully rest in faith, rest in the faith that God did his part. Jesus did his part. Snatch up in my spirit every time I read it. <laughs> All right. So for more on God's grace, we're going to skip on over to Romans 5, 15 through 21. And it reads, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many die by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? 
nor can the gift of God be compared with the results of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteous reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass may increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, that was powerful. I want to re-emphasize a few verses in there so we can get it for real, for real in our heads. Look at verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more would those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? Verse 20 through 21. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All that to say, sin ain't got nothing on God's grace. Amen, somebody? Amen. Okay, so boom, we know what sin is. We know how it started, how it's a part of us, but it's not on us to defeat it because Jesus has already paid the price. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are made right with God. On a practical take this with me throughout the week level, I want to unpack how we can position ourselves and our hearts around sin next. To do this, let's head over to Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16, and it reads, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Based on the text here, we can stay on the path to purity by seeking God with all our heart, genuinely uninhibited, consistently. We can stay on the path to purity by hiding his word in our hearts. It's memorizing his word for access no matter where we are or what the circumstance is. We can stay on the path to purity by meditating on his precept, which is Hebrew for an appointed thing, a.k.a. another type of commandment. And though society has associated meditation with yoga and clearing your mind, doing the deep, heavy breathing, meditation as believers looks different. We don't clear our minds. We fill it with God's word. Now, you can still do the heavy breathing if you want, because deep breaths do be helping just in general. But we're going to fill our minds with the word of God. Meditation is a combination of reviewing, repeating, reflecting, thinking, analyzing, and feeling. Meditation on God's word is a physical, it's intellectual, it's an emotional activity that involves our whole being. What you feed grows, so you got to feed your soul with God's truth, which is the word. 
Okay, so what does that actually look like? I hear you, girl, but uh, what does that mean? You said all that reviewing, reflecting, feeling, meditating on his word looks like intentionally carving out the time to read. Read it. Read it with attention to gain understanding, to gain revelation. It looks like quieting yourself to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you through the word. Uh, A lot of people say the Bible is the only book that reads you as you read it Um, and does. So you have to quiet yourself. You have to sit down and take the time to see what's being spoken to you through the word. It looks like being emotionally invested, allowing yourself to feel what God feels and the desires he explicitly expressed in the word. Last, meditating on his word looks like moving from reading and meditating on the word to applying it to our lives. That means connecting thoughts to action, considering how the truth and the power of the word of God should affect your behavior and change your life to change the lives of others. The next practical takeaway I want to talk about is, y'all, I put this one in all capitals because my God, submit, resist, lean in. James 4, 7 through 8 instructs us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Then come closer to God and he'll come closer to you. As far as temptation, my personal advice would be when tempting thoughts arise, replace them with the word of God. We see Jesus do this in Matthew 4, when the devil called the tempter tries to tempt him in the wilderness before he launched out into ministry. Three times the devil offered him something, and each time Jesus gave him back scripture. And when he saw he couldn't win, the devil gave up and fled. Angels then came to Jesus. Right after Jesus resisted temptation, he began in his ministry to preach. My question to you is, what ministry is on the other side of your resistance to temptation, your resistance to sin? What is waiting for you through the Holy Spirit to conquer that enticement? One last thing when it comes to temptation, I want to head over to James 1 verse 2 uh, to talk about this a little bit more Then we'll wrap this section up. But James 1 2 reads, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So the Bible itself is telling us to consider it joy whenever our faith is tested because we know it's going to produce something good. We know it's going to build us up. We know it's going to build our patience, our stamina, our faith. We can't forgo the process of enduring because it's going to make us mature in Christ and strong in faith. Testing is a tool that the Lord uses. On the personal level, in the past, I've typically shied away from difficult conversations or um, conversations around conflict, those type of things, because one, I didn't feel that I knew how to communicate well about it. And then two, I was a people pleaser. Um, So I wanted to make everybody happy, keep everybody happy, please everybody. So I didn't want to talk about things that could hurt somebody, even if it was for their good and out of love. So yeah, in the past, I typically shied away from difficult conversations. Now I am working on leaning into those conversations because it's not only going to build trust between you and whoever you're having those conversations with, um, it's going to allow you to share the things that needs to be shared, whether it's for uh, conviction, whether it's for uplifting, whether it's for change. You know, you just never know 
also as a person who knows that I'll be working in leadership and transformational leadership in a lot of spaces, I need to know how to communicate in difficult situations because there's going to come a day when I'm going to need to. And so starting in my inner circle, family, friends, whoever, associates, is going to prepare me for the day that I'm going to need to communicate through a difficult situation on a professional level. David was tested as a shepherd in the field watching over the sheep with the lion and the bear. Maybe it wasn't a lion. I can't think of what it was off the top of my head, but I know he was out there throwing hands with animals to protect them sheep. And those were tests. Those built up the muscles in him. Those built up bravery in him. When it came time to slay the giant, David was ready because he had been tested in the jungle. He had been tested in a different, maybe smaller environment, smaller scale. And when it came time to step out on the field of war, it was nothing for him to slay the giant because he had been tested before. And so I want to say, don't, you know, of course, don't give in to the temptation, but filter it through the lens of what can this produce in me as I overcome it? How can God get the glory from me overcoming this testing, this, this temptation? So that's a view I believe we as believers should always have. Now, I know that's easier said than done, especially in some of the moments, but it's a muscle to build. It is a muscle to build for sure. Kevin Wilson with The Christian Podcast has a poppin' podcast episode on temptation. It's called Tackling Temptation. And this episode has been really helpful in shaping my understanding of temptation, sin, and how we can live around it. Highly recommend y'all check it out. All right, y'all. So for another takeaway around sin, being rooted in Christ, growing in faith, and, you know, living a godly life, I want us to turn over to 2 Peter Chapter one, verse three. And I ain't gonna lie, y'all. I was doing something else, looking for something else. And I found this scripture and I'm like, okay, I got to add that in. So this is actually the third recording snippet. Every time I try to finish up the podcast, I find more scriptures and I'm like, okay, I cannot leave that out. I got to share this with the people because this is so good and it helps continue along the path of godly living. And mind y'all, a good study Bible, the right study Bible is imperative to your journey in diving into the word and understanding these principles and who God is over your life. Because, man, I just got the Tony Evans study Bible that my pastor recommended. And oh, my goodness, these, this commentary, this commentary is top notch. So Second Peter chapter one, verse three reads. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. I want to pause right there and look at the notes in my study Bible because it's so important Um, The notes say that the spiritual blessings we need are already available to us based on verse three, but it's up to us to access them. These comprehensive blessings are appropriated through the knowledge of God. That is through the specific knowledge of God's will for and blessings to believers. This knowledge is the difference between merely meeting someone, a prominent figure like Michelle Obama versus having a personal relationship with her. The notes from verse four talk about the divine nature that is referenced in that verse, talking about we may share in the divine nature. That divine nature is 
implanted into believers. My Bible says in seed form and doesn't immediately translate into mature godly living. Rather, it gives every Christian the potential to escape the corruption that is in the world, much like a seed gives a person who possesses it the potential to grow a plant. When the seed is tended and it grows, the life of the spirit expands in a believer's soul and the expansion is manifested in the body through righteous living. My God, my God, those are not my, those are not my words, y'all. Those are the notes from my study Bible. And when I tell y'all just, uh, it's breaking it down so well. So it's saying that we have everything we need to live a life of godliness by knowing Christ. And by knowing Christ, we may share in the divine nature, which is given to us in seed form for us to water, uh, to give it that potential to grow by tending to it. And the life of the spirit is going to expand in us, expanding that seed of divine nature. And that's not it, y'all. So, so far we have his divine power is given us everything required for a life of godliness through the knowledge of him. By these, he's given us great and precious promises. So through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping corruption of the world. Verse five picks up saying, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, supplement goodness with knowledge, supplement knowledge with self-control, supplement self-control with endurance, supplement endurance with godliness, supplement godliness with brotherly affection, and finally supplement brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My God, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Y'all, my goodness. So he's saying you got to add goodness, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, love, Add these things to your faith. They're going to help keep you in productivity in the knowledge of the Lord. By adding these qualities to your faith, it's going to help you in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, which going back to verse three, that knowledge helps you share in the divine nature of Jesus Christ and escape the corruption. Okay. Sin that is in the world because of evil desire. So I want to look at the footnotes for these qualities as well. And when I tell y'all, okay, so it says for verse five, these qualities, we just talked about those very qualities act like vitamin supplements, enabling believers to adopt God's kingdom perspective and live in accordance with it. God instructs believers to add these qualities to their saving faith in order to actualize the potential for maturity and godly living. My God. So we have divine nature implanted in believers in seed form that gives us the potential to escape corruption in the world. And then on top of that, we have to cultivate these qualities of self-control, godliness, brotherly affection, love, faith, goodness, and knowledge. We have to cultivate and add these qualities that's going to feed the seed that's in divine nature implanted in us. To help us live in accordance with the kingdom perspective, like the notes say, to actualize the potential for maturity and godly living. So wrapping up with verse 10, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided to you. 
So I ain't gonna lie. When I saw make every effort to confirm your calling and election, I didn't really, you know, have the understanding of that. Thank you, Lord, for the study notes, because it says the admonition to make every effort to confirm your calling and election is not about making sure you saved. It's about making sure you're spiritually productive since the purpose of election is service, not individual salvation. So without a full deep dive into that text, right off the surface, it seems like my understanding right now is you have to make sure that you're in the right place to be productive uh, in the kingdom according to who you are, according to how God has made you, according to the gifts inside of you. Confirm your calling and election. Make sure you're in the right place to be productive for the kingdom. Make sure you're in the right place to be of servitude to the will of God. Now, again, I haven't done a deep dive into that, so it could be more to it, but just off the surface, that is my understanding of it. And it says, you know, knowing who you are, knowing your purpose, knowing your place, like your gifts inside of you and how you can be of service to the kingdom and the will of God is going to keep you from stumbling. And in this way, entry into the, come on, entry into the kingdom of our Lord is going to be provided to you. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 is a great toolkit to help us with our godly living, to help us grow in our faith, and to help us be in productivity in the right place in the kingdom of God. And when I tell y'all, I stumbled across this and I could not leave this untouched. I said, the people got to know this part because I need to know this part. I need to know what's going to keep me, what's going to sustain me. And I know that's also the spirit of the Lord, but it's also the understanding of his teachings. We need to add these things onto our faith to help us along the way. Amen. Amen. Okay. So those few takeaways I just covered are all mostly pre-sin or in the resistance of sin. Now, as far as after sin, which again, we are sinners. So after sin will never not come. Let's just be reminded. <laughs> Let's go back over First John 1. This time we're going to look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. With that scripture in mind, my first takeaway is to repent and be real. To talk about repenting, it means to turn away, to stop what you're doing, to change whatever you're doing. True repentance is more than just being sorry. True repentance is change behavior. And though some things may not change right away, I say still come to him and surrender with it. That way his Holy Spirit can do the work to transform you out of it. No matter what, come to God in repentance. Put it down, leave it there, turn away, choose him instead. That's why, like in the previous episode, you know, I talked about not just putting things down. You have to replace things with God. You have to replace things with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, instead of going for the drink, go for the word. Instead of going for a, a booty rub, go to prayer. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is going to meet you there in that effort to diligently seek him, to be transformed, to have your heart purified and your mind renewed. God already knows the things that you're struggling with. He's the one who can give you the power to overcome it. So you may as well give it to him anyway. He already knows. He wants your heart. He wants your surrender. He wants to help you, but he won't make you let him help you. Like he won't force you. He gives us free will, but you have to do your part and he'll be ready waiting for you with open arms. 
Again, there's a great episode on a Christian podcast that unpacks repentance in depth. He impacts it real well, y'all. It's called Repentance is Required. Another recommendation of mine to help us understand and walk this out. Along the same line of repentance, one of my mottos is repent, don't run. Based on this, I believe that understanding the difference between conviction and condemnation is imperative to our walk with Christ when dealing with sin. As I shared in another episode, there is both grace and accountability in Christ. God's conviction holds us accountable for the way we live to urge us towards repentance. According to 2 Timothy 7, 9-11, as his children, God wants us to have a godly sorrow that leads us away from sin and to salvation. Again, repentance is to turn away, away from sin and toward salvation. Verse 11 says, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. So God's conviction highlights where we've fallen short and it calls us higher. It calls us deeper into him. Now, on the other hand, condemnation is what the devil tries to use to fill us with when we do fall short. Condemnation is married to shame. It causes us to want to run and hide away from God because we feel like we let him down. Condemnation can make us feel like we're in utter defeat, like there's no point. Why try? We're too far gone for God to love us, better yet help us, better yet use us. And this is a tool of the enemy based specifically on what Paul tells us in Romans 8, 1 through 2. Again, y'all, Romans become my favorite. But that scripture reads, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That means just like in Mean Girls, when Katie did all those calculations to come to the understanding that the limit does not exist, we have to pursue relationship with Christ to come to the understanding that in him, condemnation does not exist. Let me repeat that. Condemnation is non-existent. We were free from the quote-unquote guilty verdict, and as previously said, we were made right with God through Jesus' sacrifice. So in sum, condemnation is from the enemy. It can make us feel defeated and ashamed and make us want to run from God, while conviction is from God, leads us to God with an eagerness to realign ourselves and our lives with the Word of God. Okay, one more shout out to the Christian podcast for breaking this down in such an understandable and an employable way in Kevin's episode titled Defeating Guilt, Shame, and Condemnation. That's one of my favorite episodes, y'all. And this podcast has clearly been game changer for me. I can't recommend it enough. Y'all go check out a Christian podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. He does podcasts in the park, Freedom Park, um, starting back up next year 2024 okay (laughs) moving forward i have another takeaway for y'all to get into the right community get into the right christ-rooted community is going to help you walk the walk with sin in christ man i can talk on community all day but it's important for us to be in the presence of other believers of pastors elders of those with the gifts of the spirit who can intercede for you, who can disciple you, who can do life with you. The Bible itself also talks about the importance of community. It's not just me, y'all. The Bible itself says iron sharpens iron. That means when you get in the right community of people, they're going to build you 
up. They're going to teach you that you can grow from them. And I never want to be around people that I can't grow from. And I have so many pivotal people in my life right now who have helped me grow in Christ, helped me grow in my understanding of myself in Christ. And y'all, they have been game changer to me. The Bible also says, don't forsake the assembly of the brethren. So that means don't take it for granted. Don't miss out on the benefits that community can bring, the right community. Now, I do want to note that there also is a need for certain seasons where you need to have separation if God calls for it, but that doesn't equate to isolation. There's a difference between separation and isolation. And sometimes God will call you to separate from people to take some time um, with just him and you. And I know that is just important as community. But again, if the season doesn't call for it, do not isolate yourself or again, forsake the assembly of the brethren. First John five sixteen through 17 tells us the importance of community. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. We have to keep each other covered and encouraged in our walk of Christ and in the purpose he's designed us for. Shout out to the woman defined community because it's giving all that it's supposed to give. When I tell y'all, I tell y'all. So I encourage you to be particular for sure because everybody isn't for everybody, but do not let the enemy get the upper hand by keeping you in isolation through the things that you're dealing with. It's a trick of the enemy. It's exactly where he wants you to be, exactly what he wants from you to keep you from purpose in Christ, to keep you from getting into your ministry, to keep you from making the impact that you want to make. This is one of the things that I, I hammer home so hard with my friends because sometimes naturally we have a tendency to isolate when things get hard. We don't want to talk to nobody or we do something and we don't want to be judged or da -da -da -da. we don't want to hear nobody's opinion. But listen, we need that accountability. We need that intercession in Christ-like community. We need that love and that understanding, that listening ear and true Christ-like community. That way we can change the world the way we were specifically designed to by not being isolated and walking into the purpose that God has for us. As far as posture around sin, I want us to look at David's response to his sin in Psalm 51. Also, y'all, I was this years old when I realized it's Psalm and not Psalms with each chapter. The book is the Psalms, but when you go through each chapter, it's like Psalm 51. My whole life, I've been Psalms. Nobody called me out. Nobody's going to let me know. All right, fine, cool. I learned anyway. Glory to God. So in Psalm 51, in this chapter, David is crying out to God. He's pleading to be washed and clean from his sin after he was out there wilding with Bathsheba and Uriah. I'm not really going to get into the depths of that story. Y'all got to go check it out. It's crazy. But I want to emphasize his posture around sin. In verse 10, he asked God to create a pure heart in him, renew a steadfast, a.k.a. faithful or devoted. I never knew what that word meant for a while. I just knew it was a thing. But renew a devoted spirit within him and to restore the joy of salvation with a willing spirit to sustain him. So in response to the sin that he committed, David asked God, create a pure heart in him, renew a devoted spirit within him, and restore the joy of salvation to sustain him. These three requests are a part of my regular prayer, sin or not, but they're a great indication of what our posture should be in response to sin. 
I also add on asking the Holy Spirit to renew my mind based on Romans 12 and 2, which reads, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Incorporating these four requests into prayer is my final practical. Take this with me throughout the week practice to help us with sin. I want to wrap up this episode by encouraging anyone out there who's struggling with sin to seek God and bring all the above takeaways into practice on a personal level. This is my phrase, y'all, and I say it and it helps me. He is our big, big God, but he's our personal close father. He's our very best friend. So we have to be personal with him. We have to be intimate, develop relationship with him. That means inviting him into our spaces, inviting him into our hearts, inviting him into our thoughts, our struggles, our sad days. You know, we got to be real with Christ. That's really what it boils down to because he can help us with this. We don't have to struggle alone. We don't have to carry it alone. We don't have to go to people or places and be unfulfilled and trying to fill the gap, but it never going to fill it because it was never supposed to fill it. It was never supposed to solve it. Those are all temporary is going to lead us to disappointment. Christ is the solution. And man, am I leaning into that now more than ever? <laughs> okay, so I'm also going to recite the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6, 9 through 13 for us all. And for you guys to repeat after me, for us all to posture ourselves into repentance. So Matthew 6, 9, and it reads, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Family, that concludes today's study sesh. I want to emphasize that this was a really good episode, but it was in no way comprehensive of all the things related to all the things. The Bible is just like you keep digging and you keep getting more treasure. So I went down a complete rabbit hole on this study today, y'all, because it was just on my heart. Like I said, I felt convicted uh, to give us the full understanding, the full impact of sin, but also to free us by salvation not being on us. It's through Jesus Christ his grace, his sacrifice, his love, and our faith in him that we are saved. There was so much scripture on this. There is so much goodness that I wanted to share on this. And then, not to mention, I went to a class and got even more confirmation that I was on the right path, even more scripture, even more information to share. And so God is so good. I want to encourage us. This episode is meant to encourage you. This episode is meant to free you, like I said earlier, from perfectionism, from um, legalism. This episode is meant to encourage you in your walk. Take these practical things with you. If you have anything to add, go ahead and add it in there that's going to help you realign with the word of God before or after sin. Um, 
And if you have anything to add, feel free to shoot us a message. Always, always, we want to hear from our listeners, from our subscribers. Shoot us an email at thewomandefined@yahoo.com. You can message us or just engage with our content on Facebook and Instagram at The Woman Defined. And you can check out our website, thewomandefined.com. Thank you so much for all your support, y'all, for everybody who is sharing the podcast, for everybody who is listening, everybody who's telling your people about it. It is time we get the word of God out there. It is time we walk into ministry authentically as God created us to do. And here at Woman Defined, you know, our motto is we going to encourage y'all to live authentically on purpose in your God-given identity. Hello. Amen. Hallelujah. So with that, I pray y'all have an amazing week. I love y'all. Be blessed.